buy a biases, buy a whole chicken, roast it, serve it to your family, use the bones to make a stock, and keep using, reusing until you can stretch one or two or three meals with the same ingredient. That's that's what we grew up with, and that's what the Spanish traditional gastronomy is all about. We love celebrating milestones at Dirty Linen Podcast, and in fact, we have our own milestone, a, a crazy, unbelievable 500 episodes coming up very soon. But today is not about us. It's about Ruben Lopez Mesa and the fifth birthday of Eat Spanish, a culinary organization that he co-founded to celebrate Spanish food and to foster collaboration among Spanish chefs in Australia. He's based in the very foodie town of Orange in New South Wales. Ruben, welcome to Daddy Linen. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for having me. Tell us about Eat Spanish. Oh, there's a lot to talk about in the Spanish. Um, <laughs> would you like to start from the beginning, from where the origins of the association were? I reckon the beginning is a great place to start. Okay, so a lot of people ask me why. That's the, For me, that's the most important thing, you know? Why did we start this? And basically, it was A, a because of personal frustration of not seeing proper real information about the Spanish food. But the second one is about a social necessity that both of our communities, the Australian and the Spanish, uh, we have, basically. So, I mean, tell us a bit about your history in Australia. Like, when did you come here and, and what sort of, I guess, environment did you find here for, for Spanish food? So that's it. That's the main thing. Uh, I came in 2009, okay? And when I came in 2009, I straight away started working in restaurants. I went to TAFE. I'm an Australian chef. And every single piece of information at the school, at work, I couldn't find anything that it was proper Spanish uh, gastronomy. And it was very, 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 very frustrating. So once that I finished, once I started working professionally in restaurants, uh, had restaurants and stuff like that, I knew, I knew it was the moment to start doing something. And so what is the what is the aim of Eat Spanish? What do you want to change? A lot of things. So uh, first, when I, when I did my own uh, analyze, you know, when I analyzed the whole thing about why people in Australia didn't know uh, about the Spanish cuisine, I realized that there was a lack of real information. There was a really poor communication between main players, between chefs, institutions, and importers. And the most important one, it was a big absence of produce on our Australian supermarkets. So basically, that's the, those are the goals. So obviously, the main goal, the umbrella, is to promote Spanish gastronomy and culture. But we want to change, uh, you know, the perception that people have about our cuisine. And we would like to see Aussie families cooking Spanish once per week. Wow, that is such a big ambition. Um, so, I mean, sell it to me, Ruben. So, like, I don't know much about Spanish food. Like, I love Italian. I think French food is supreme. You know, maybe I really believe in Chinese regional cuisine and I want to find out more about that. But how do you get Spanish into my life? Why should I be curious about it? Okay, so first things first, uh, get in contact with us. <laughs> we, we, we will help you with that. But mainly, uh, honestly, uh, there's a big wave of Spanish cuisine around the world right now. Um, in the last decade, and this is something, there are consequences of um, migrant movements, okay? Uh, obviously, there was a first one here in Australia in the 60s, 70s, and now we had one consequence of the economic crisis in 2009, okay? So, answering to your question, 
Jose Andres in U.S. is doing a big movement of Spanish food. There are chefs in U.K. doing an amazing job as well. And we are here with the bigger networking right now of Spanish food uh, in Australia. The consequence of that, going to the supermarket, Danny, right now, uh, 10 years, almost 13 years uh, after this, we are able to, to push our produce. Uh, so you can find right now jamón, you can find good rice, you can find really good olive oil. And yeah, I reckon we should start with traditional gastronomy, to be honest with you. Yeah, so great. And I mean, what do you think people really need to know about Spanish food? First of all, the produce. Uh, you know, when I, I'm doing cooking classes here in Orange, and every time that I talk about jamón, <clears throat> <pardon, clears throat> people is like, oh, but jamón is like prosciutto, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's talk about a different type of brito or pig. Let's talk about how do they feed those pigs. Let's talk about how do they cure the pig. So then we can understand that that produce that is in front of you is quite unique. So for me, if you ask me that, I would talk about DOPs. Do you know what a DOP is, Danny? Yeah, like the origin control, like the food that comes from a particular place and is designated as such. Yeah, that's right. And that is, uh, so basically uh, the European Union gives you that, okay? That is telling you that that produce is really good and it's unique, you know? So there's no dodgy practices around it. So I would personally uh, try to convince everyone around me, my family, my friend, and anyone who can listen to this to follow uh, what a DOP is and all those Spanish produce that they are unique. Mm. So I suppose you're really stressing the, the special nature of some of these Spanish ingredients that, you know, are made in a certain way from a certain place and really hold that tradition within them. Um, so if you, you want Australian families to cook Spanish once a week. What kind of dishes do you want to see um, cooked more in Australian homes? So um, I'd like to answer to that saying uh that I'm gonna base my own experience, okay? I grew up uh, in a really humble family. My family passed through a civil war and 30 years of really, really, really starving times, okay? So I grew up with something that we call cocina de aprovechamiento. That is something called, uh, in English, it will be translated as the zero waste food. Basically, it's really humble food, okay? So if you ask me for it, well, it, I don't know, it's up to you. Um, I will go, for example, with the hero of uh, Spanish cuisine, which is Spanish omelette, okay? Um, but if you like meat, well, try to put a little bit of chorizo on a lentil stew. If you like fish, try to get salted cod or, or teens. Do, do you know, Danny, how scared people are about the Spanish teens? It's incredible. Tell me. Uh, so there is something that always is quite polarizing on my menus, which is the word anchovy. <laughs> you can find people that they, they either love it to the death or they hate it to the death. I don't understand why. And people should understand that uh, the teens in Spain, they're coming from the north. The quality is incredible. And the way of preserving, some of them is quite unique. For example, an escabeche is one of those methods of cooking that people don't know about it and it's incredible it's delicious have you ever tried mussels in escabeche escabeche yeah yeah the mussels in escabeche ah yes i have tried mussels escabeche but to, for people who don't know escabeche as a as a method um yeah just explain it to people so basically uh, we are talking about the importance of vinegars in spain super important you can even age in vinegar as well okay so this this technique is coming from the northwest of spain from galicia and basically what you do is just preserve fish and seafood 
through acid and a little bit of olive oil. Okay, then you put some spices, paprika, etc. Mm, so and good. Then you just steam it, and it, honestly, there's actually there's a new trend in Spain of bars without a kitchen. They are just wine and things, and you should see how amazing those businesses are. That's really interesting. You know, I wrote a story last week about uh, tinned fish date night and the surge in people who are enjoying quality tinned seafood in Australia. And yeah, it's a trend that started in the US, but of course in Spain and in Portugal uh, and people have been doing it forever, um, preserving this beautiful seafood and, and enjoying it. I guess really prizing it for what it is. I think in Australia, we've tended to have a bit more of a sense of food that comes in a can as lesser than food yes. that's fresh, but there's a whole other perspective that you can put over it, isn't there? And that's it. I think that is a part of what we all should be doing, you know, which is uh, talking about the quality of it. So please, my first message is don't be scared of it. <laughs> and secondly, is, yeah, let's embrace it. You were talking about the meaning of Spanish gastronomy. Not many people know that in Spain we have 17 regions. That is like, they are like states, like here in Australia, okay? Yeah. Um, and we are very different. So I can tell you right now, if there was a table of five people, Spanish, one of them from each different region, I can tell you they are all completely different. We got a DNA in common on how to start a recipe, but profoundly, they are quite different. Mm. That's people, usually people don't know that. Uh, what One thing I really love about what you're saying is this idea of, sneaking in a little bit of a Spanish element to dishes, whether it's the chorizo in the omelette um, or it's or in a lentil stew. And it, it makes me think um, I've just written about a sushi restaurant here in Melbourne called Sushi On and Chef Yong was really inspired by escabeche and you know, he's eaten a lot, he's eaten some seafood escabeche dishes in Melbourne and loves that sort of um, Spanish approach to seafood. So when he's doing a piece of sushi, uh, I think it was the King George Whiting, he puts a little bit of pickled kombu on it. But mm-hmm. in his mind, it's this connection to escabeche. So I think, you know, it's such an interesting, Australia is so multicultural. I love this idea of Spanish influence coming in in all different ways. Absolutely. Actually, our president, our current president, Ana Cortez, she used to work in uh, one of the finest Chinese in Melbourne. And I remember that uh, it was strictly Chinese and Cantonese, but she always has a little bit of jamón ibérico, either in a sauce or in a marination or something. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, well, I think Anna was on my brother podcast, Deep in the Weeds, and I've, I saw her when she was at Lee Ho Fook. And yeah, what an amazing powerhouse of a chef, so talented. And I did find it so interesting that she had, yeah, all this, this, this Spanish heritage, but, you know, a, a great facility for cooking all kinds of different food. Um, yeah, it's really, I mean, that's really to me in a very beautiful Australian story. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And on top of that, I would like to add that you can cook Spanish with Australian produce. I live in a regional area. I love supporting all the farmers around me. And I can tell you that with just one or two staples on your country, you can cook Spanish food, especially the traditional one. All the stews, all the casserole soups, all those, they are quite achievable. Yeah, so interesting. So what do you think we would, if we wanted to have a little bit of Spanish in our pantry, what would we need to get? Oh, there's a few must. One is paprika, for sure. Uh, paprika is 
perhaps in 85% of our recipes. It's one, people, people sometimes don't know what it is. It's a dry capsicum that suddenly can be later on a smoke or there are different techniques, okay? So paprika, first one. Secondly, Spanish rice. You know, Danny, that people don't know about rice. Like in my cooking classes, I actually take containers of different type of grains of rice. And you should see the faces of my customers. They just dunked out. It's like, what? Rice is rice. That's what everyone says. It's like, no, 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 no. We got, we got long grain. We got medium grain. We got salt grain. And then we talk about the Spanish rice. And you see how the heads there are starting exploding, you know? <laughs> Did you know that we have three different uh, rice production areas in, in Spain? In I, East Spain? I did not know that. So one in Catalonia. One in Valencia, where the paella is from, and another one in Murcia. Now, those uh, rice production, they got a DOP. And on top of that, they got different type of grinds, depending on what you're going to do. It's funny, all the controversy about paella with chorizo or not chorizo. I don't answer anymore that question. I always say to people, look, let's learn about the Spanish rices. Let's talk about type of rices. Right now, Danny, you and me, we, we catch up on a weekend. I would like to cook three different types of rices for you. One, we call it caldoso, which is a brothy one. Another one is called meloso, which is like a creamy, like a risotto type of thing. And the third one, they are called dry rice, which is all the paellas. People don't know those things, but that's what is embedded in our DNA, and that's what we would like to teach people how to do it. Yeah, I think it's such a nice way into learning about a culinary culture through such a staple ingredient like rice it's um it's so it's such a bedrock of so many different cuisines but it's um in a way i suppose you're introducing a complexity but it also it allows people to approach it quite simply just with this one staple ingredient but appreciating the differences and the different purposes that you might um, use these different grains for especially nowadays with the cost of living danny it is so important to understand rice like for me, uh, as I said, I come from a really humble family and rice was all the time in a, in a plate. It, it, it didn't matter what it was. So, yeah, first thing it could be about understanding your type of rice and then don't be scared. Go for it. Um, probably you don't get it the first time right. It could, it could come after a couple of times more. Cost of living is such an important issue at the moment in restaurants and also in homes. I mean, how can this um, this I'm going to not going to say it right, but the, the, what you just you said, cochina de aprovecamiento. Yeah, um, that's right. The, the, the zero waste, the zero yeah. waste type of cooking, or even just appreciating ingredients in a different way. Like, how can that help um, home and professional cooks with cost of living pressures? Oh, incredible. Honestly, that's, that's my base. That's the base that I wear, that I cook, the one that my mom did, that my grandmother did. And honestly, try to reuse everything. It's as simple as that. For example, I was writing the other day on a, mag- on a magazine the difference between buy a whole chicken, between buying just a, a tray of chicken thighs or, you know, any of the parts of the chicken, and probably the cost per kilo it went to up to $20. So my advice is, Buy a whole chicken, roast it, serve it to your family, use the bones to make a stock, and keep using, reusing until you can stretch one or two or three meals with the same ingredient. That's, that's what we grew up with, and that's what the Spanish traditional gastronomy is all about. Mm. And I suppose seasonal is, seasonality is such an important aspect as well. 
massive. It is massive. Uh, actually, now uh, I grow my own veggies. Uh, all the tomatoes, they are turning color. You can see how the capsicums they are developing. Well, this is a time to start making gazpachos. No two months ago when the tomatoes no were in season. You know what I mean? So this is the moment that the fruit is telling you, use me. So yes, it's not it's super important. Um, tell me about gazpacho. What are, the, what are the things that we need to know? I'm going to tell you a story that probably you won't believe it. Okay, so as I said, I went to Tay. I'm an Australian chef. Uh, from a, a cookbook of four years of recipes, there were just two recipes that they were Spanish, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, then in two of them, they were incorrect. And one of them, it was, it was a gazpacho. So this is a message from my friends from Tech. Please uh, come to us. We will help you with this, okay? Because imagine that they were telling me that the half of the recipe, it was with cold chicken stock. So there were some veggies blended. You put it with cold chicken stock and you serve it. Uh-oh, that does not sound good. <laughs> it, first, that doesn't sound good. Secondly, from a WHS, uh, it is incorrect. You cannot serve cold chicken stock to anyone to drink it. You know what I mean? So, there you go. You have me as a first-year apprentice there with my heavy accent, just putting my hands up and said to the teacher, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Can I please help you here? Um, so, yeah, he was very nice. And I remember my teacher, he's like, well, come and do it. I saw him. And it's like, well, can you do it again? Yeah, no worries. He called the whole campus. They came to see me. I was like, okay, from now on, cross the recipe and we do it in your way. And that's that's it. This is what we need. We need to embrace each other, you know, and bridging culture at the end of the day. So tell us, you know, your gazpacho, like <laughs> a cold chicken stock is wrong, but what is right? So basically gazpacho, uh, it comes from a gastronomic point of view, it comes under cold soups, okay? So it's a cold soup from the south of Spain. Um, however, people don't know that depending on the thickness, it can be a cold soup or it can be a drink. For example, for me, it's a vegetarian juice that is delicious to have in the fridge. After five, six hours of being on the beach, you know that they are a little, you are a little bit lightheaded. But you go home, just put one of those ones in a glass and drink it. And it's heaven. It re- honestly, you feel better. So it can be either a soup or it can be a drink. And what is it? Basically, it's just a, yeah, it's a, veg- it's a veggie juice, basically. And so I guess you need really beautiful, ripe tomatoes. And what else would you put in your gazpacho? Well, you put, you put a capsicum as well. You put a bit of garlic. And, and basically, it's, it's just a blend of veggies, you know. Um, they are all summery. And as I said, imagine that you are in Andalusia, it's above 40 degrees, and what you, what you need is something refreshing. Uh, later on, you can play with that, you can make granitas with that, you can make heaps of things with that. Yeah, actually, I've been in Andalusia when it was 40 degrees, and I don't think anyone made me a good gazpacho. But it oh, was, really? oh, that was, I was staying in the wrong place. I was staying in a, in a, in a holiday place that was full of English people, and um, it just, yeah, they were yeah. all having fish and chips. It wasn't great. But, <laughs> um, you know, there in what I did see there was those, like, um, Acres and acres of polytunnels where they were growing um, tomatoes and capsicum and all that um, ingredient that just loves the, the warmth. But it's um, such a yeah. place where produce comes from, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And olive oil. Uh, have, you, have you been in Jaén or the area with this like fields and fields and fields of olive trees? No, I haven't seen that. 
So it's, it's something that actually seems that you can see from the space. It's massive. Spain is one of the main produce, uh, producers of olive oil, okay? And something that surprised me, that is when you go into the supermarket here, you just see olive oil, veggie oil, and, but when you see the olive oil, they don't tell you what type of olives it comes from. And it's, and it's like wine. Imagine that you go into a one place, and instead of telling you that this is a Pinot Noir, or Tempranillo, or whatever, it just says on the label, red wine. Yeah, it's you're right. Red. You know what I mean? Yeah. And do you, and, and do you know why? That is called um, monovarietal, monovarietal uh, olive oils. Do you know why we don't have that in Australia? Tell me. Because when the first wave of migration, Greek, Italian, they start planting them, they mix all the olive uh, trees uh, up. So now they don't know what it is. And that's the problem that we have. For us, if you're going to a supermarket, you could use uh, olive oil piqual for one thing, uh, and arequina for another thing. So depending on the type of olive, one is for frying, one is for salad. And we don't have that in Australia. But this is exactly what we need to change and what we need to, to talk about. Mm, that's so interesting and it really yeah, rem- reminds me of the rice conversation where, again, it's a staple ingredient but there's so much variation within it. Um, so, and, and, that is, and that is the issue, uh, Danny. Like when you, analyze, when you analyze the problem, and my question is how come we stuff it up so much? Like they are basic produce, just not in Spanish cuisine, you know, in Mediterranean cuisines, in Greek and Italian. But why don't we have that step further? You know, that extra layer of information to appreciate more the produce. Mm. So, I mean, what is there to celebrate five years down? What, when you have your celebration, what will you be looking back on and thinking, oh, we've, we've really come so far? Well, so first of all is how lucky we are to have the networking. Um, as I said before, one of the main problems that we had at the beginning, it was a poor communication between the main players. Today... We are celebrating that chefs, institutions, importers, home cooks, because it's Spanish now, it's open to everyone. We are talking about this. We all want to push for this. So what's the consequence of that? We can do really cool events. For example, last December, we did our first international event in Barcelona, supported by RMIT University and the Australian Embassy in Spain. How cool is that? That's we so open cool. a bridge between Australia and Spain. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Oh, that's amazing. And so what are the plans for the next five years? What's your vision? So uh, this, uh, this is, oh, my vision. My vision, <laughs> as I said, is I, I want to go to the supermarket here in a rural area and I want to be able to see olive oil, saffron, rice, paprika. In the same corner where there are all the cuisines, I want to see Spanish food there for me to cook with my neighbors. This is my personal goal, Okay. As an association, well, we are keep growing. So now we are preparing a super event where I cannot tell you more about it. Probably Anna will be able to do it, but we are bringing a Michelin star chef to do an event in Sydney very, very soon. Um, all that is about creating more awareness and more awareness about the Spanish gastronomy. Um, yeah, I reckon honestly just try to be really humble and try to see people cooking Spanish at home. Love it, Ruben. Well, I'm definitely happy to jump on the Spanish train with you and um, le- keep learning and cooking more Spanish food. And let us know when um, you can share news about the event in Sydney and we'll make sure we share it with all the listeners. Oh, absolutely. We do. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for sharing with us today and, and happy birthday. Congratulations on five years of Eat Spanish. 
Yeah, and congratulations to all the members past, present, and the ones in the future for their amazing job. People don't know that we are a non-profit. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, this is a project that we do with enough free time with a lot of passion. I love it. Thank you, Ruben. Bye. Have a good day. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.